these two that I had, and I lost. This is the regret that you make. Welcome to Narratively Speaking, the podcast that explores the power of story in all its forms, its role in society, and how it helps to shape the ideas we think we believe in. I'm your work in progress host, Harv, and if you're not having a cracker of a day, I'll be severely disappointed. Um, It's pretty sunny here, fairly warm, heat is going, feet are a bit cold, should have put some slippers on, didn't think it through. Now I'm stuck here, strapped into my chair with the mic poking in my face, and my feet might just freeze and snap in half. So if that happens, I'll let you know, hoping it won't, hoping it won't. Now, I've entitled today's uh, podcast, The Stories We Tell About Death, and you may think that's a bit of a negative way to go, and maybe it is a bit dark, I don't know. Um, Let's just see how the discussion goes, but it did occur to me that we do tell a lot of stories about death. Um, none of which are really, you know, things that we've established scientifically or whatever, but stories of the afterlife, of ghosts, of, uh, you know, bright lights and uh, so on, um, meeting God and being judged. All of these things are stories that we tell ourselves to deal with, I guess, what is one of the most uh, difficult to deal with subjects for a human being uh, when the end comes, death itself. Um, you know, we've um, anthropomorphized uh, death into a cloaked figure, you know, holding a scythe. Is that how you say it? Scythe? Sith? That's like Star Wars, isn't it? I'm going to say scythe. Yeah, that sounds better. Um, you know, last week I spoke about uh, briefly about uh, the movie Coco, um, and it was something that I wanted to spend more time on during that podcast. I was actually thinking of making this entire podcast about Coco. Um, but then I realized, uh, you know, it was too long since I've seen it and I really can't remember enough about it. Um, but one thing that I do remember is the central concept about death and it's a pretty inspirational idea. Um, in Coco, people, uh, pass on, uh, to like another world, their appearance changes and, um, they become kind of skeletal and weird looking, but it's cool for a movie. Um, And they survive in that form and that world until the last person to remember them in the real world um, forgets about them. So this idea that uh, what you do in life creates memories and while those memories last, you are in a sense immortal is a really powerful one. It's a really interesting one. I hadn't heard of it before. I don't know if it's got something to do with uh, Spanish legend or Mexican uh, religions or um, a folklore or anything like that. Would research it. Didn't. If I was going to do the whole podcast about it, I probably would have. Um, but let's face it, uh, I would have probably done that lazily anyway. Um, but it was, a you know, as, as, a, as a metaphor for death or as a idea for the afterlife, it's a nice one. It makes that movie uh, very moving and, uh, you know, watching particularly that moment where one of the characters is forgotten by his loved ones and just kind of 
dissolves into nothingness is a really sad moment in the movie, even though the character that it happens to isn't a major character in the film. It's not because you have an attachment to him. It's because you know in your heart the idea of never being remembered uh, is a tragic one. It's not so, you know, we sort of all have this wish to be remembered, to pass something on and to leave some, some part of ourselves behind. And all of the legends that we have about death kind of deal with that need, I suppose, in a way. This idea that we have an afterlife at all is um, something that people have a very strong vested interest in believing because if there is no afterlife and you spend your entire life suffering or even worse, just in mediocrity, then what was it all for? So even though death is kind of a taboo topic in a way, um, I guess it's okay to talk about death openly. But at the same time, I think um, people who dwell on death are considered a little bit kooky. But it is something, of course, that we're all interested in. So how do we handle that? Um, well, we kind of discuss it in metaphor, in story, in popular culture. Um, you know, God, how many movies are there out there? that deal with the concept of death. You've got, uh, you know, a resurgence of zombie films and TV shows recently, which, uh, you know, I mean, are they about death? Yeah, kind of. It's, there's a lot of people certainly dying in them. And the idea that you can be reanimated after death is, again, something that, um, you know, it's not going to give people a lot of hope, obviously. No one wants to be the zombie. Um, but the idea that uh, there's a difference between being animated and being alive um, is certainly one of the philosophical underpinnings of how we think about death. But it's not just zombie movies. You've got all sorts of horror movies that deal with death. And, uh, you know, you could argue that that's exactly why horror movies have maintained their popularity for such a long period of time. Uh, you've got ghost stories that deal with um, spirits surviving on after death and coming back and contacting the living. You've got things that are based around reanimation like zombie movies, but you also have uh, Reanimator, which is a more science-based version of zombie movie. Um, you have your recent remake of Flatliners. Um, the original Flatliners was a probably a better film, didn't really need a remake, but you've got to bring it to the youngsters, don't you, these ideas? Um, and that was a pretty innovative film for its time as well, where it was, um, you know, where it was taking a more scientific view, uh, you know, trying to explain the images that people claim to see when they have a near-death experience. Oh, and you've got your um, Final Destination movies, which again, it actually anthropomorphizes the character of death um, without actually showing like a visual representation of death, but portraying it as a hidden hand whose will cannot be denied. And say what you will about the execution of those films, but that's a pretty innovative idea to make uh, the core of uh, a new horror franchise. We haven't had a new idea in horror for a pretty long time, but that one certainly qualifies. So popular culture helps us deal with death and with the inevitability of the fact that we're going to cease to exist one day, perhaps depending on what you believe, I guess. Uh, move on to a new plane of existence. Would you prefer me to say that? Um, it's pretty hard to find a description that meets everybody's beliefs. But like with everything else, uh, I tend towards starting with a scientific view. Now, when it comes to life after death, I've thought about this quite a bit. And what happens, what do you like when you're dead? If you watch people age, 
like my grandmother, my beloved grandmother. She was so smart when I was a little kid. But as she got older, she got dementia. She could not remember things. She didn't recognize me. And so she eventually died of old age. And I just don't see any evidence that she would suddenly be a young person as an after-dead ghost entity. It looks like, to me, this life is all you get. This is it. There's nothing afterwards. So what you got to do is live this life as best you can. That's the way to go. And if it does turn out there's an afterlife and we all turn young again and can play rugby or whatever it is we want to do, uh, so much the better. But I see no evidence for it. And for your son there, there are no ghosts. Sorry. If you want to know about science, you need a science guy. And the only science guy I know of is Bill Nye, or at least he's the only science guy whose name rhymes with science guy, which makes him uniquely qualified in my opinion. But I think uh, that clip isn't necessarily, I mean, I'm, it's not that you know I like agreeing with Bill Nye, but I think that's the default position of death when you look at it from a scientific perspective that your brain ceases to function, your heart stops, you stop breathing, and then you cease to exist. There's nothing afterwards. And i got to admit, in my life, that is, that is what the evidence points to. I've never seen a ghost. I've never seen someone come back from the dead. I've never visited an alternate realm. I've never seen evidence of God or heaven or hell. It's not necessarily what I want to believe, but it does lead to a good conclusion, I think that you just have to do the best you can in this world. And that's something I do believe in very strongly. Whether this is a test, you know, if it's purgatory or if it's something else, it doesn't really matter, you know. Um, I said this in my popcorn lobotomy video when I talked about uh, living in a simulation and this idea that we're, we're all, you know, in the matrix. The point that I was trying to make in that video is it just doesn't matter what reality is because you can still do what you do in this reality, regardless of what it means or whether there's an alternate reality or some other form of perception. If we're unable to access it, just make the assumption this is all there is. Do the best you can. Have a bit of fun along the way. I mean, is it really that bad? I mean, life is pretty damn good. Um, maybe not for everybody. Um, I'd like to work on that, make life better for everybody in the world. Um, but Honestly, it's really like if this is all you get, uh, perceptively, it feels to me like it's a fairly good innings. It's a long time to be alive. There's a lot you can achieve during that time. Um, and, you know, it goes back to this idea of passing on a legacy. Uh, if you can do stuff in this life that people will remember in the next life, whether that be oblivion or heaven or hell or something else, then haven't you done something worthwhile. If people remember ideas that you had, things that you said, or even just, you know, the fact that you had a massive dick or something, if you left something behind, like it, like your dick, uh, I'm, I'm not going to leave this in. Actually, I will leave it in. Dick jokes <coughs> are funny and uh, I'm going to stand by that for the rest of my life. That may be what I leave behind. My legacy Dick jokes. I found myself 
flying through a star-filled realm. It's a glimmer of heaven, many say. It's rapture, it's beyond description. I just felt absolutely ecstatic. Transformative, miraculous, even magical. But are they actually real? What happens during these experiences? Well, people who come close to death for any reason typically describe a sensation of being profoundly peaceful and comfortable. Some of them describe a tunnel and a bright, warm, welcoming light. Dr. Sam Parnia of SUNY Stony Brook and author of Erasing Death conducts cutting edge research. Probably the most interesting aspect of this is that a small group of them, not everybody, describes a sensation of actually separating from themselves and watching doctors and nurses trying to save their lives, except that they're clinically dead. But not everybody believes the accounts, and some completely dismiss the near-death concept. People are skeptical about it. People who are skeptical about them often think that these are simply hallucinations. Parnia is conducting a new study, giving specific sounds through an earpiece to patients in cardiac arrest. Unusual images will also be placed high and facing the ceiling, so they're only visible to somebody looking down from above. In theory, to a soul separated from a physical body. If you come back and say you saw Dr. Smith or Dr. Jones, what they were doing, the question is, will you also see the image that's in the room that is independent and that you would not have been able to guess because it's not something you'd expect to see on TV. While the research is ongoing, members in the near-death community believe that science and medical professionals are becoming more accepting of the concept. And I have to say, if anything, it gives us hope that there's this peace. Isn't it funny how people kind of reveal themselves uh, inadvertently? Um, you know, that's really the key to this entire sort of life after death question. It's that idea that there's hope, that there's something more. And if there's one thing that science and, you know, the types of experiments that Dr. Sam Parnia is, is conducting shows us, it's that it's almost impossible to definitively prove one way or the other whether there is this kind of life after death. I mean, we can measure the brain and the chemical reactions and the electrical activity uh, until the cows come home, but we cannot, no matter what we do, um, explain fully what people's experiences are in, in the world or, you know, in, in the inside their own minds. So all we can really do is tell stories about it. And science tries. And uh, in the case of Sam Parnia, he's got a lot of resistance for um, his experiments, uh, even to the extent that some have claimed that he has designed the experiments to fail, that he's essentially coming from a position of trying to debunk near-death experiences. But then later on in that same presentation, you say, if near-death experience is an illusion, a trick of the mind, which it may well be, and I suspect it will turn out to be. So there you're saying that after looking at all these cases, collaborating with other indie researchers, that your current position is that you suspect your hunch is that these NDE cases are probably an illusion. Now, that's not a problem. That's not a criticism. It's just I'm trying to understand that is where you're coming from, right? No. You see, um, as I tried to explain to you, I have been doing this for so long that I've heard so many different arguments, and they're very valid. You know, they are very valid arguments, and I think as a researcher, I have to remain neutral and unbiased. The current scientific models that we have do not um, allow for the descriptions that patients are providing 
of uh, an out-of-body experience if they're real. So let's assume for a moment that the patient who claims that they were at the ceiling and able to see things is actually really correct. Well, we have no scientific model to account for it today. And so based upon what we understand of the brain and the way the brain works, the most likely explanation that we have today and the knowledge that's available in 2010 is that this must be an illusion. However, I'm open-minded enough to accept that at any given time and era, science is very limited. And it may simply be that this phenomena is going to be something that will open up a whole new field of science. Fair enough. I mean, I, I do want to push it just a tiny bit further. I mean, you say, and I suspect it will turn out to be. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. But no. you, as someone who's worked in this field, it's okay to say, you know, I've done all this research and I'm leaning towards suspecting that that's how it's going to turn out to be. I mean, what's the problem with that? I don't think there is a problem. Okay. You do suspect that it'll turn out to be a trick of the mind, an illusion. It may well be. I'm, you know, you're pushing it. I'm giving you an honest answer. I don't know. That's a quick excerpt from uh, the Skeptico podcast with Alex. How do you say his last name? Alex Sakiris? Sakiris? Uh, you know, anyway, I listen to that podcast quite a bit. And uh, I have a lot of respect for Alex and his views. But in that case, it just sounds to me like he's facing a bit of cognitive dissonance and trying to deal with it. He's trying to push Sam into a corner and get him to admit that he has a bias so that he can say, well, if you designed your experiments to fail, then uh, we can dismiss them more easily. But to me, Sam Pania's experiment of, okay, you claim that you can see uh, the room that you're dying in while you're dying and while your brain is chemically shutting down and electrically shutting down. So tell me what you see and here's a specific thing that you won't be able to imagine. To me, that seems like a pretty valid scientific question and a pretty valid scientific way to test whether people are actually seeing a room or whether they're just uh, reflecting on what they know is probably happening to them outside of their minds. But we all still want to believe that there's more to life than just this, you know, physical reality. So where do we turn when science can't provide us with the answers that we want? Um, and of course, historically, uh, things like religion have taken up that role. Not that we had science before we had religion, but in lieu of having science to explain things, religion would step in and give us the answers that we kind of want to hear. And I must admit to being, uh, I guess, somewhat naive when it comes to religion. I mean, I did have a grandfather who was a priest, so um, you know, it's not that I'm not familiar with religion, but when it comes to the different faiths and what they believe in, uh, this isn't an area of expertise for me. However, you know, I can look up Wikipedia for such things. And uh, I was curious to think about what are the stories that religions tell us about death? They've been popular for a reason. And I assume that, that this is a large part of it, that, that they give us a, a more comforting and hopeful message for what happens after we die. So growing up in Australia, uh, you know, I think we embrace all religions. We're a multicultural society. Um, but I was certainly brought up with Christianity being, you know, the main option for religion, should I choose to uh, follow one? Uh, I don't think uh, Islam was offered. Hinduism wasn't really offered. Satanism was frowned upon, of course. 
um, and uh, Scientology was ridiculed. So um, Christianity is only the only real religion that I was taught. We had religious instruction at school, and they taught concepts from the Bible. However, we were able to um, we were allowed to opt out of that if we wanted to, which is nice. There was only one kid that didn't go to religious instruction, and I think that was because um, the the alternative was really just like having self-imposed detention. So uh, it wasn't really encouraged uh, to, to not attend religious instruction. Anyway, um, we did this religious, re- religious instruction stuff. So I'm, you know, I'm familiar with uh, the Bible, but I, I must admit, I didn't really listen. I wasn't that interested in it. I don't know why it should have been something that piqued my curiosity. I think it was something to do with the presentation and the fact that the uh, stories that were being told were just fantastical and to me just sounded like fairy tales. But what are the stories the other religions tell us? You know, um, for instance, Islam is very popular throughout the world and you hear uh, often of entire societies converting to the Muslim faith. Um, what is the story that they tell that's so appealing that people will take it on and convert from whatever religion they had previously? I worked in Indonesia for a time, for instance, and uh, that's a, a very large proportion uh, Muslim community. I think uh, you know ninety plus percent of people in Indonesia are Muslim, and uh, it did occur to me while I was there, um, how did that happen? Because actually, historically speaking, Indonesia had you know a history of Hindu and Buddhist kings. And strangely enough, when you research this, uh, there really aren't any particularly good answers. Uh, obviously, there were people who, who came and, and taught the Islamic teachings. But there's also, uh, if you have a look on the internet, there's also other people saying that that was because of a particular tax that was levied upon non-Muslims, and a lot of people just wanted to avoid the tax, so they converted. Uh, apparently, it was called the Jizya tax. So, um, you know, like... Um, Hey, if you don't join us, we're going to jizz you, which is pretty weird when you interpret it in English. Um, And also that, uh, you know, the merchants and traders were teaching Islamic um, concepts as they were transacting with the local population. Um, I don't know how effective that is, but I guess if you go and buy your groceries and you're hearing about a particular religion every single day, eventually you'll go, okay, fine, just, you know, sell me the fucking apples and I'll convert. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's it's funny that there's actually no real answer out there. There's ideas and concepts and you know explanations, but nothing definitive. And now in in like Western culture, it's supposed to be one of the big fears that we have that somehow the Muslims are going to come in and take over and impose Sharia law and convert us all. Not something that I subscribe to, but uh, definitely being put out there as a story that we're supposed to believe in. So what do the Muslims say about death? Uh, Well, they have a concept uh, apparently uh, called the last day or the day of judgment, that kind of thing. Um, Everybody experiences it when they die. Allah basically decides uh, what's going to happen to you. And you either go to a version of heaven or a version of hell. Um, I think I've heard this one before somewhere. Um, just trying to remember. Was it uh, was it uh, Back to the Future? No. Was it um, the Alien franchise? No, that wasn't it. Oh, that's right. Basically the same as Christianity, isn't it? I mean, it's the same. Sometimes I dream of living forever. 
to never die, not unless I wanted to. Actually, I dream I could just know everything, to have super intelligence, super strength for that matter, and super speed. I wish I could just be happy, all the time. Eternal happiness of which sadness never comes. But then, sadly, I realize it's all impossible. But is it really? In this program, I'll be speaking to the people who think that it is possible. We will become cyborgs. Not now, of course, but in the future. And a future that might not be as far away as you think, according to them. Radical technological change is upon us. And I'll be finding out what they think the future has in store for us, human beings. Uh, the future that matters is the future of cognition, not really the future of the human race. I think digital immortality is definitely going to happen. My hope is it happens within my own lifetime, so I can take advantage of it. Ben and others like him call themselves transhumanists. Transhumanism is the idea that we can improve man in all imaginable respects. The plan is to do this by way of science and technology. We really need to abolish aging in the same way that we need to abolish cancer and we need to abolish rape and murder. A aging we just shouldn't allow, allow to exist. And the, the fact that everyone takes for granted, you know, there's no choice but to just get old, die and rot. I mean, in a hundred years, that will be looked on as insanely barbaric, the same way we look back on slavery as insanely barbaric now. As always seems to be the case with these kinds of discussions, it all leads back to consciousness, doesn't it? What is consciousness? What are we? What is life? What is, is there a soul? Transhumanists believe that not only is consciousness like a, like a computer array, something that can be made up of data, but that it's actually transferable and that that can be uploaded to a computer or uploaded into a robot. It's, it sounds like science fiction, but this is a movement that's growing and gaining popularity. It's something that if you haven't heard about it already, you probably will hear about it in the next five to 10 years as it goes more mainstream. It starts with things like body modifications. And there are people out there doing all sorts of things, putting pieces of equipment or even just ornamental pieces of equipment into their bodies to make themselves look more robotic or more like a cyborg. Um, and it goes the full gamut into you know research that involves life extension and even avoiding death altogether. And when I hear about all this stuff, I just can't help thinking that, uh, I don't know, they're barking up the wrong tree. Uh, what is life without death? If we have an unlimited amount of time to achieve whatever it is that we think we're on this planet to achieve, would we ever actually get off our asses and do it? I don't know. It's an interesting question and one that I really don't know the answer to. Um, but I, just on instinct, I feel like there is no point in conquering death, that there's a certain yin-yang component to all this where life has no meaning without its opposite. And given all of that, is death really something to fear? Or is it something that we actually need to keep us driven and if, you, if you're a writer like me, if you're interested in story, and if you're not, why the hell are you listening to this podcast? Isn't death just the grand deadline that you have um, before you have to finish writing your own story? So instead of seeing death as something to fear, something to avoid, something to conquer, 
perhaps we ought to see it as a kind of mentor sitting on our shoulder, inspiring us to keep moving forward and make the most of every second. And when you think of it that way, the spectre of death kind of dissipates. And instead of waiting for peace to come when you finally experience death, you can experience it while you're still alive.